Hello, hello. My name is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Elizabeth Venable with me. Did I get it right this time? Yes. Okay. Uh, Elizabeth is actually uh, in two ways connected to me, but we have never met in person. So we both live in the uh, Phoenix, Arizona metro area. Are you in Gilbert or Chandler? I am in North Phoenix. North Phoenix. Okay. So we live in the same metro area, but probably close to an hour yeah Yeah, away and then we um have a connection because we were both um formerly (laughs) i think uh vip kid teachers with um the esl company in um based out of um, mainland china that is more or less wrapping up um i guess that last stage that it has been in um i've been teaching Uh, with them for three and a half years government yes so um the VIP kid is not closing, but mm-hmm. our chapter with them is closing. Um, they have decided that they uh, wanted to focus on, I don't know how to put this delicately. I try not to avoid a lot, or I try to avoid controversy on my show, <laughs> but Global uh, more, growth, I think. Yeah, more or less, they are hoping to open markets to uh, a more international audience. But they don't want foreign teachers, people from the U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K., teaching the mainland Chinese students. Uh, They are allowing international teachers who live in mainland China to continue teaching. But other than that, they have basically shut down. I know that the just VIP kid itself and even just the ESL companies were over a billion dollar industry, mm-hmm. but it was a bigger thing than that. It was like the, the tutoring industry in general um, in mainland China is gone. So like $120 billion industry is, I think within about three months, it's just shut down. So they're right. switching a lot of these students to after school um, free programs, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what they said in the um, brief from the Ministry of Education, I believe it was. Yeah. Yes. So we have these two things in common, but uh, Elizabeth is actually also a grant writer. She runs a nonprofit. Uh, she's been working from home for, I don't know, how long have you been working from home? Why don't you, why don't you tell us more about you? Um, well, I've been looking, working from home since, ever since I started my own nonprofit and I needed to find flexible income. And um, before that, I was a classroom teacher and I held a variety of development nonprofit positions wherein I was not working from home. But as soon as I started my nonprofit part time, I had to find a way to make income that didn't impede on my schedule. Okay. And one of the best ways to not have work impede on your schedule is to work at 4 a.m. <laughs> like on yeah. VIP Kid. Um, and then I also really enjoy writing grants. I have a background in public administration um, as well as teaching and in small nonprofits. And I really enjoy grant writing because I can do it anytime that I feel really in the mood for it. I'm very efficient with it. And um, it allows me to be very creative um, in terms of making up programs into existence. Wow. And yeah, I find that to be really um, exciting. It's sort of like venture capital, but it's more based on mission. So, so about 
how do you divide your time right now? You've mentioned a few things. Is the nonprofit separate from the grant writing? Oh, yeah. The nonprofit totally separate from the grant writing. Right now, I'm writing for a nonprofit that's called Sunsur Maya. They're in Nepal. They're a great agency. They uh, serve women and children in a variety of impoverished locations in Nepal. And they have a real high quality STEAM program and they have like health checkups for the kids and the women that are doing literacy programs, things like that. So I work for them. Um, only um, 30 hours a month, but the wage is competitive and it, I can do it at any point in time that I want. So that adds into it. And then um, I do write grants for my own nonprofit. I'm looking for more grant work than I've been doing because the online ESL in China is slowing down. And, um, but it's a great time to transition because people, there are so many employers looking for people right now and uh, wages are maybe going up a little bit. Are you finding that's true for grant writers as well? Because I know that some industries seem to be kind of stale and others seem to be booming and some uh, people are leaving because the wages aren't good enough. I think for nonprofit development in any time of crisis, there's always a demand. There's generally a demand throughout um, the, the years for nonprofit development, but even during catastrophes, there's a need for reaching out to foundations or reaching out to donors and uh, gathering those revenues so you continue doing your nonprofit. And I think that the wages are pretty competitive because it's a it's a difficult field. Um, I feel like my wage has gone up, but that may be just my own feeling of empowerment in negotiation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I'm used to not necessarily working for my full um, value. And I think many of us don't. If we were to look at inflation and what the wages should be, I believe many of us don't work for a wage that um, is complementary to our skills. And um, and for someone like me that I have two master's degrees, um, I should be able to have more negotiating power than I demonstrated, but it may be a gender thing um, I think that sometimes, um, sometimes people are more or less uh, assertive in making contracts or arrangements. And I've sort of gone from sort of giving my services away to actually, you know, charging something. So, yeah, <laughs> I can see that. Um, especially when you're working for nonprofits and uh, organization or a cause that you believe strongly in, you yeah. almost probably feel like you're giving part of yourself, even yeah. donating part of your services or time. Uh, but oh, 100%. you could and be you paid for the joy. Yeah. 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 I wish we could all live off of joy and pay rent. With no, joy. <laughs> I, agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, and that's why I have these multiple sources of 
uh, revenue because um, not not every project is going to be as desirable as a, as every other project, and so I like to um, keep things going, diversify, make sure that um, I'm interested in the things that I'm doing, and I'm and that's almost more than being compensated to me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's a mix of giving of yourself and volunteering and get, having enough to live off of. Sure. Yeah. Because I know my time is very discounted, highly discounted um, for these agencies and they're aware of it too. Um, and, but I'm willing to work for what to me feels like a relatively competitive wage, but what for a grant writer is not necessarily, you know, the pen ultimate wage. I don't work on commission. Okay. That is lowers it, the amount of money you get. Is it hourly then? How does it work? No. If you work on commission, you don't get an hourly wage. You just do it as a percentage of the grant. No, I feel this makes the grants uncompetitive. I don't know a whole lot about grants. You might have to educate me a little bit. Oh, sure. Well, grants, um, grants are like applications to... Uh, companies and nonprofits and um, a wide variety of nonprofits actually exist that will take grant applications and you tell stories about your nonprofit and what your nonprofit is doing and what you would like to do. And you lay out a budget for how you're going to do it. And then you tell a story about your budget. So it's just about writing inventing a program uh, based on what your desires are as a nonprofit and writing it into existence and then contacting these um, these foundations with very fancy letters and according to their um, spe- specifications, right? So some want 250 characters. I'm like, yes. Oh, wow. It's like a text. (laughs) Yes. And you have to fit like a program in it. Oh, my goodness. Yes. It's so and other ones are more flowery and like essay-like. I'm working on one for the Coca-Cola Foundation right now. And and they're so I mean, they've got to put up hoops, I'm sure, to get through all the applicants they get but Mm -hmm. we're a good match for them which is the only reason why I'm doing it but um one of the questions they give you up to 6400 words whoa up to which doesn't mean you have to use them all Mm -hmm. but all the other ones are recommended like 2000 words and there's like eight sections and I calculated that out and that is about 50 to 60 pages double spaced Mm. for one corporate foundation grant yeah so are these like almost elaborate like college applications I mean I do know Mm -hmm. some things about grant writing but I guess I don't know how technical they end up being like how much do you have to put into the financial budget part versus the storytelling part well hopefully you're working with somebody that can estimate what costs are if you can get a narrative about um we will need 15 buckets and we will need 20 trees and we will need 
two supervisors at 50% time, you know, you bring a story with your budget. And it's good to learn. That's probably a very challenging part of it for most people, but you've got to think practically and in terms of real numbers. And the closer you get to real numbers in your imaginary project, um, the more likely it is to go into existence. I, I, what was the other half of your question? Oh yeah, how much of your time is spent and like actually formatting like the budgety parts and the financial parts? Not very much time, to be honest, because you get it from, generally you get the budgets from, partially from the executive directors or also from the accountants, if it's a more professional nonprofit. Mm-hmm. They may have a budget that they provide for you. If you um, like their organizational budget, they will probably have that for you. If they are a small nonprofit, it's probably easier to do it. Okay. So is your nonprofit a small nonprofit? Yes. Well, it's a mid-sized nonprofit now because we're going to get over 50K. So... Um, over $50,000, you have to actually report your, um, your, uh, revenues and expenditures. So we're, we're a burgeoning mid-sized organization. And did you already tell us what your nonprofit is focused or who it's helping? Oh, my nonprofit does leadership development for people experiencing homelessness. And, um, we have people meet with, uh, legislators, we go to city council, we distribute, we did about 10,000 masks um, to that population. And the thing that makes us different is the participation of the people who are directly impacted and conveying their concerns, as opposed to simply the concerns of service providers who while generally really well-intentioned, are also there to get funding or protect their own interests or not necessarily um, give less popular opinions on programming that should exist or pressure too hard. Okay. So they might have their own agenda that might not necessarily serve that population. Well, they serve the population, but they don't necessarily involve the population in the decision-making. Oh yeah. Okay. And which is really interesting because, um, most helping professions, um, you are working with people a lot of times from your own background, like maybe it's your own cultural background or your own gender or sexuality background. You're a peer. But when it comes to homelessness services, there's a professional group of people that um, offer services to a very diverse array of people, some of which they don't necessarily um, even admire um, or consider beliefs logical. But I believe in, in public testimony, in the ability of Uh, individuals to um, make a difference by sharing their own stories and Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And we're really unique for Phoenix. There's nobody else like us in Phoenix. 
Okay. So you're allowing these people to help advocate for themselves with their exactly. own stories and experiences. We okay. give them the tools, right? Mm-hmm. We awesome, and we take them places and give them the tools and set up meetings and talk to the media and things like that. Do demonstrations, awesome. art. Wow, I want to hear how you got into that. Like, how um, you left the teaching profession to start mm-hmm. this nonprofit, and that's how you ended up in this journey of working from home. Can you yes. go back and talk a little bit about how that all started, and what were you what were you teaching before? I was teaching biology and earth science, as well as in the last uh, school I was at, I taught. <laughs> Chemistry, physics, earth science, and um, nature of science to middle grade students. That was a little difficult because I was a biologist and I didn't get to teach biology. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I um, I think I could handle biology, but you you put me in a room with chemistry and physics, and I'm um, out. <laughs> I felt bad about the physics because. I had a general idea of the laws of physics, but right. can I name them perfectly? No. And that's just sad. That was the first. Can... <laughs> that was... Oh, sorry. That I was the first class can... that totally kicked my butt. And then I married a guy who majored in that. Oh, did it kick your behind in college? Yes. <laughs> yes. It, that happened to me as well. I got a, my first C in uh college for um chemistry for majors and i hadn't had chemistry in high school so i show up oh, I'm yeah. like, what's a mole yeah exactly and uh, i think we were trying to do circuits and thankfully my lab partner like covered for me a lot <laughs> i think yeah. helped me get through I think I helped him with the writing and he helped like actually understand what was happening because otherwise I wouldn't have made it through. Well, that sounds like a good lab partnership. Like <laughs> it was there a good friend. any dead weight <laughs> on that team, so. I went to his wedding. <laughs> like we, we oh, became wow. friends through the experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how long ago was that now? Um, I taught from 2015 to 2018. Mm-hmm. I sort of left that um, situation where I was too stressed out, to be honest. Um, well, yeah, if you were out of your water and, you know, out of your element yeah. there, that would be hard. Oh, yeah. And I also can't do classroom management very well. Hmm. I can do one-on-one with VIP. <laughs> yeah. That's very yeah. easy. Just like constant <laughs> positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. A little bit of discipline, but not too much because they won't pay attention. How many kids did you have in those classrooms? Uh, about 30. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. So you started the nonprofit or you started teaching for VIP kid or how, what, what came first? Uh, I started the nonprofit in January of, um, 2018 and we were dormant for a little while, but then, um, I got very uh, decisive about what kind of project I actually wanted to do. And that helped me figure out my course. But VIP Kid came when I was, I believe it was in about June of 2018, something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And my friend who had been to China told me that it was a very popular program. Yep. So that I should try it out because I was doing DoorDash, which is sort of sad because I needed the flexible time, you know? Yep. And I drove my vehicle into the ground doing DoorDash, but VIP kit, all you have to do is make sure you have a really well-functioning computer and creativity. I started in January of 2018. So just maybe six months before you or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you branched out into even more companies than I did. I ended up with two companies. They do say Mm -hmm. it's a good idea to diversify in case something happens. You know, well, what's happened more recently is just all of them shut down at the same time. But what's going on with you? You've taught for a few different companies. Do you, you Mm -hmm. don't have to name them all. Just go ahead and talk about it in general. Well, I've taught for children. There are different platforms for children and adults typically. Um, And I've taught both for children and adults online. Um, Generally, I enjoy doing the the, um, maybe age five to age 18 the most. Okay. Uh, Because the company I have right now has a curriculum. It's structured. Um, and it is more serious than VIP kid, like serious. Mm Um, and not that it's more or less effective. It's just a different way of teaching. And I think that, um, the best way to do the teaching is to find a company that matches your style. Yeah. Yeah, and what the expectations of the teachers are matches what you want to do. Because the problem I found with the adult programs was I would always have to make my own curriculum. And that was so labor intensive for the amount of money that I was charging, you know. I haven't gotten into the things where you end up making your own. If I were to, I would do just conversational and do themes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I have taught for another company that also does adults. adults and kids Mm -hmm. and um it had just a tiny bit of curriculum and a lot of time for free talk and expansion and extension and customization and I really thrived Mm -hmm. off of that and so Mm -hmm. I could probably just take it and run with it on the fly because I've had you know three years of experience doing that Uh, but I've heard someone saying the other day oh these you know some some families are trying to ask the teachers you know will you teach us you know tutor us privately and there's a lot of kind of back and forth. Like some people are like, some people are nervous that they might get those families in trouble. Others are like, Oh, absolutely. You know, they're not concerned. I'm not concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Getting paid is actually one of the problems I think for some of these families, because I think Mm -hmm. they're trying to make it more difficult for money to leave that country. Yes. 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 Yeah. And, And the whole thing about the industry was about, as you said, I think earlier, I don't know if it was on the film, um private investment in and uh stock valuation for these company was so high these companies were so high right and um that's sort of part of the reason why the chinese government said they were shutting them down which i believe Mm -hmm. when normally people say what they believe you know so so it's just they were getting too too rich I think so. I think they, so, it, you know, they'll do things like, um, it's very interesting. Um, 
like a major Chinese celebrity got banned off the internet and they just scrubbed the internet of the Chinese celebrity because she was getting too popular. And you're like, how does that happen? Yeah. You know, I guess they control the internet, but yeah. And it's tricky. Like I almost feel a little bit nervous right now talking about it because you know, you know that there's the internet doesn't go away. Like things actually yes. do. Um, you know, I, I'm still currently working technically for one of the companies and the other one, I think there's that hope that the, it'll continue to expand. Well, yes. one of the companies that teaches adults technically should continue to be able to teach adults, mm-hmm. but we're just not sure if they're going to survive because the, um, Why not the, children's, be well, the yeah. children's part was so big compared to the adult part. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. VIP kid is trying to march into that adult sector and a lot of parents whose children are no longer able to take those classes and the, and the parents can might try to take it so their kids can watch along or maybe follow along or maybe they'll pop their kid in instead of themselves. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they're also trying to expand into other markets and other countries. But the problem with that is that China has had more money. Right. And a lot of these other countries. And so even as VIP Kid itself is talking about branching out into these other countries, they're automatically docking everyone's pay. I think yeah. everyone will start at $3 an hour less than we've been, or $3 for 25 minutes. So it'd actually be like $6 an hour less. Yeah. Um, my base pay was um, with that particular company was about eight plus incentives per class. And that's a, I mean, that's at least $2 different. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. It's hard to talk about the money because it was um, always based on a 25 minute class. And then there was these extra yes. bonuses, but on average for the longest time I was making at least $20 an hour yeah, and more and more with 19. bonuses. And, you know, I was doing a lot of what they call like demos or trials for the two different companies. And there's a lot of sure. bonuses if you yeah. sign up people. So sometimes I'm making, you know, more, um, I don't normally talk about how much I make, but, um, yeah, that was, it was Were you enough doing to... referrals too. I only did a couple that was just oh, okay. the ones that happened more naturally, you know, like a friend of a friend kind of thing. Oh, that's much better. I had yeah. a little bit of help from a, a former VIP kid teacher to get into the whole industry. Mm-hmm. Mm, she mentioned me a little bit more normally. She just read my feedback and said, Oh, it's doesn't sound too bad. Okay, I'll try again on my mock class. Oh, yeah. No, I had a lady who um, mentored me through that process. She actually had a group that grew pretty big. um, And she didn't require you to have already been hired into the group before you could join it so that you could like learn and then and then apply. Yeah. Yeah. And so I chose to use her. We ended up being roommates at one of the conferences. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. So um, a neat lady, I actually asked if I could put her down as a reference today for one of the job applications I was filling out. And she's like, yes, of course. So That's like, wonderful. you know, she became a real friend. Um, actually, the people that did sign up officially, one of them was my doula when I had my second oh, kid. Okay, yeah. She became a VIP kid teacher. And another one was a friend from um, another parent at the school that our kids all went to before. And um, she was also in my book club. So oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's been kind of hard to see, you know, the you know the rise and the fall of something that was so fun. Uh, yes. But I don't know about you, but reclaiming some of my sleep has also been, you know, a goal. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I couldn't live that lifestyle forever. 
um, here in Arizona, we are 15 hours behind China time, Beijing time. There's no daylight savings though. Right. We don't ever, we don't ever have to change the clocks and neither does China. So we always were constant when everyone else was having to adjust the schedule. But how did that work out for you? Like the adjustment to uh, waking up, how early did you start? I was starting like at two, I would, one, I was two, three. I would get <laughs> up morning. at three and start at three thirty. Okay, and do it all the way up until it cut off. Yeah, <sighs> and that cutoff even changed. It used to be that we could teach until um, in our time zone seven a.m., uh, which would have been like ten a.m. on the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, but then they cut that off. They, you know, again, the government made a choice and. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the choice. It just affected my bottom line. Right. So they decided that the kids were staying up too late during their tutoring. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Some of these kids were falling asleep literally as they were trying to like practice English, they'd be like eating soup and falling asleep into it, you know? Yes. Uh, and so the government decided that they wanted them to shut down an hour earlier so they could get to bed mm-hmm. like by nine o'clock China time. Um, which would have been 6 a.m. our time. And so, yeah, I, I usually taught um, from about 2 to 5 or from, from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. or 2 a.m. to 7 a.m., depending on whether or not they allowed it. I couldn't do it. I tried doing 2 a.m. Uh, for a while and just because I wanted more bookings in the beginning. Uh-huh. And I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. But right now uh, with my unnamed company, um yeah I really can't say because otherwise we'll get eliminated oh yeah don't do that then safety yeah. first oh how did it work out for you with waking up so early in the morning so I'm still uh, waking up with my uh, with my current company I'm okay. still waking up and uh, they have it um starting at our 3 a.m and going to our 6 a.m only and they have some in the evenings on weekends okay our evenings on weekends so right and so it's just it's difficult because you get you do get really tired and mm-hmm. I can only do it a couple of days to be honest I go Friday Saturday Saturday Sunday and then I stop and I do Thursday okay for so some Thursday reason, Friday I just got, got into Thursday so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Sunday. So like a four day weekend, more or less you're working. Yes. Yes. And, and then, then the rest you... of the time I work on my um, grants and I work on fund for empowerment. Yeah. I was talking with my sister earlier today and she was asking me about, you know, what am I going to do now that this is coming to an end? Cause it has been, I had, I was doing it full time uh, and you know, the podcast and things that's all extra right now. Um, she's like, what do you want to be? And I'm like, I just want to be like valued, you know, for my time and expertise and education and, you know, abilities and skills, um, more than anything. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, teaching ESL has helped you grow? Oh, yes. I mean, um, it's helped me grow in a wide variety of ways. I mean, obviously the way that I think about presenting on camera has changed. Mm-hmm. The way that I think of even like holding myself, you know, I'm like, oh, my hair. Or I'm like, oh, I should wear red lipstick because you can see my lips more, you know, just little tips like that, you know, make you think 
differently about how the screen works or you get used to your props or you know your tpr and it makes you more sophisticated but mm -hmm. i think also um i really enjoyed developing the relationships with the kids yeah. and i think one-on-one -on -one, it's a lot easier to develop those relationships than in a regular classroom setting. And I think that was one of the most beneficial things to me as someone who doesn't have children. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, did you find yourself ever having an opportunity to be on camera or with other people while um, everyone was shutting down for the pandemic? Or did you feel like, I guess, I don't know how I'm, do you feel like that yeah, helped me a social um, need in some way? Yeah, I what was, was always on Zoom calls. Okay. And so how often? Oh, how often am I on Zoom calls? Oh, oh, today I think I was on so this is my fourth one. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Yeah. So is that necessary for like meeting with the budget people and the finance people and the it is, yes. And it's also necessary for finding about public policy um and techniques for conducting um programs and things like that um i often work while i'm in meetings because you can you can um you can listen in on like inform informational meetings and still get some work done especially if you're on a flexible schedule writing um Sometimes I'm not perfect at multitasking, but I do feel like the flow of information is, is conducive to my writing and it, it makes me a better um, person in the nonprofit world. So I try to keep myself, unfortunately, on Zoom a lot. Okay. Well, can you, like, I guess I do have a hard time with multitasking because I can get distracted and then not hear the other thing, but are you almost like taking notes and turning that into like notes for your writing? No, I sort of let the, if it's a meeting that I'm supposed to be responsible for something, then I won't work on something else. But if, you know, do you ever listen to music when you're working? Certain kinds. Certain <laughs> kinds. Does it ever have lyrics? I have to be careful to not have too many lyrics just because of the way my brain works. Like if I can uh, hear words. So it just depends on if it's familiar to me or not. If it was familiar yes. music, then I can, yes. then I can concentrate. But if it's unfamiliar, it might distract me more. Well, I'm a big lover of news radio. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I like, I don't know. I just like complexity in the things I'm listening to. Otherwise I get bored. And mm -hmm. so don't find it too distracting to listen to things because especially if it's an informational webinar, I don't, it's there to improve me. Mm -hmm. I get from it what I get from it. I'm not paying for it. I'm generally receiving content. Right. Um, but if I'm working on something specific and I know that I have to be a participant in the meeting, then I can't multitask at all. And it's inappropriate no. to do so. Right. So, Right. I, um, I guess I can just see like different kinds of tasks, you know, can have different kinds of distractions. So yeah, there's oh, certain yeah. times like if I needed to be like listening and asking questions, yes. I, I wouldn't be able to have something talk radio in the background, but 
Um, no, I, I was mean like, the Zoom call is the mm-hmm. talk radio in the background. Oh, that's the talk radio for you. Yes, interesting. It's like listening to talk radio from you while I work is I just listen to the information. Mm-hmm. What kind of Zoom meetings are they? Um, well, one was like uh, um, from a foundation that we get funded by, um, and it was about police accountability and how to get police accountability, because that's really one of the frames of uh, what people are interested in, what, how we're doing. Um, because uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but the um, Justice Department recently opened uh, an investigation of the Phoenix Police Department over its treatment of uh, five different populations. And one of those populations is almost and they're only doing homeless for the first time and it's only because of our organization wow. and yeah so it's like it's it's really interesting and so i have to know techniques and tactics and get new ideas from these foundations or from these other activists or advocates that are spreading their uh tactics um to us all through these webinars so okay so they're like almost like a town hall type meeting they are almost like a town hall type meeting yeah but um sometimes the town hall component occurs in the chat okay oh interesting you can have like two or three presenters that are like um i forget what it's called when you put like a pin it to different parts of the screen, the speakers, so that only certain speakers can be visible. Yeah. Um, then the chat becomes the area where people can give feedback and mm-hmm. relate to one another. And actually that makes it a lot less pressure. People can also turn on the cameras, but I don't always feel the need or want to turn on my camera. Right. And actually it's less sustainable. So I wanted to ask you earlier about, I was asking, you know, if, if teaching ESL has helped you grow mm-hmm. the presentation type skills that you need to learn or yeah, for, for teaching online, like the, you said TPR earlier and people might not know that that means total sure. physical response or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's more of the talking with your hands, using your hands to elicit a response. And so there's a lot yeah. of um, you know, kind of like motions that you will make with your hands in order to prompt that student to give you something. Um, there's a lot of, um, I, it's not how I was raised or trained to, to speak with my kids. Lots of like the good job kind of things. We don't really oh, say sure, that in our family, yeah. the instructional <laughs> you TPR. know, the instructional yeah. TPR versus the, uh, educational TPR. Right. Right. So, um, but I guess for some reason, you know, maybe these children respond well in that culture to um, just lots of, you know, verbal praise and, you know, physical. I think it's a little bit like gestures. Clues, <laughs> I know. Yeah. It, it really is. It can feel a little fake at times. Um, I, like you were saying, I have more of a, the personality where I'm a little muted, you know, like I definitely mm-hmm. am, you know, genuine and enthusiastic, um, but I'm not like over the top smiling until my face hurts and yes, you know just like fake really that, that. sing song voice that you hear some people doing I don't 
try to do that at least. No. Um, but I have noticed parts of it leak into other parts of my life. One time I yes. was trying to pick up um, something I bought on Facebook marketplace. I bought a tripod and I went to go buy it from the lady. And instead of giving her money, I tried to give her a high five. <laughs> 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 I think she was expecting money, um, which I did give her, but I realized, oh, you know, like we are so accustomed, you know, for many hours in every week, you know, of just this online thing that you forget sometimes how to act normally. So have you noticed yes. any of those things leaking into your oh, other? Oh, sure. Yes. They leak all the time. I mean, I'm always TPRing everything. I listen to Dua Lipa when I'm driving sometimes. I just, um, she's a pop star anyways and I do the um I do TPR like <laughs> I'm levitating you know <laughs> I just do TPR when I'm driving I do it when I'm talking and and mm-hmm. I do do good job a lot I've noticed mm-hmm. the use of the thumb you know like the thumb is something I never did before ever yeah, it's not really part of my normal repertoire, but it has become, you know, so I might have to kind of like scale it back a little bit. Um, and then what about, let's see, you were telling me before we started recording that you are, um, that you had a quick, a quick tip about how to wake up in the morning. Do you want to share who that is? Oh, well, my tip, it relies upon a very reliable person. And if you have a very reliable person like my mother, they will come and help you get up in the morning. Now that's a little bit over the top and I feel sort of sorry for her, but it's better than me getting a TNS. So she's very dedicated to it, you know? TNS is easy. teacher no-show in the ESL yeah, world. teacher no-show, yeah. Um, and uh, because with most of these companies, well, for example, I'm much better about it now, but for a lot of these companies, there's a, a limit to the amount of teacher no-shows you can get. And then that's the trigger for firing you. So, uh, did you, are you sharing a household with your mother right now? Yes. Yes. yes, 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 yes. It's a really nice house and the, prop- and the property values and fees are going up ridiculously. So basically it's a nicer house than I could ever possibly afford right now. Mm-hmm. How did she wake you up? She knocks on my door and she says, uh, will you get up? It's time for VIP. And was she set an alarm for herself at three o'clock in the morning? Yes, but I'm generally up nowadays. I am up almost like 85% of the time before my final alarm goes off. You know, I'll be getting up. We were just talking about how easy it is, especially when you're in, you know, a dead sleep and you're living, you know alone you don't necessarily have someone else to just hit that snooze button and never even know it I worked um I lived alone for several years um before I met my husband and trying to work these overnight shifts was just brutal um I would be setting alarm clocks all over the house and um ended up having to have a friend who would just like if she didn't see me you know if I didn't text her by a certain time of the day or in the morning or the middle of the night whatever it was um she'd call me just to help me get out of bed because, you know, you kind of have to watch out for each other if you're both single and you don't, don't have anyone else. Um, now I just set my alarm on my husband's phone as well. So that if my first alarm doesn't go off or if I turn it off and I don't go turn off the one on his, it'll wake him up. I haven't had to do it as much lately, but 
I definitely went through a season where I think I was just dealing with something maybe medical. Um, I was maybe weaning myself off coffee. I don't know what it was at the time, but I just went through it like a season of like just extreme fatigue. Yes. Uh, Maybe it was. I couldn't do it all overnighters. I can't. I couldn't do it. Sometimes it's easier to just start, you know, and then just go through the night rather than to try to take a nap. Yes. But when you have holes, like a Swiss cheese schedule, Mm -hmm. that's the worst. Right. So if you're teaching like two hours and then half hour off and two hours. Yeah. I would try to take a nap, but I'd have to set like seven alarms. I did hear a tip. Um, someone actually, uh, it was the VIP teacher, Sharon, Shannon, Shannon Melbury or something like that. Yeah. Shannon Melbury. She does the, uh, the professional Workshops. development. She said, if you set seven alarms on your phone, you have only really set one one alarm because it's on one device and if that device fails you all of them will fail you and I was like good point yeah right I actually do set different sounds I have like a gentle one that kind of helps get me out of sleep and then I have the really harsh one that'll be like you know (laughs) sometimes the harshest ones though it's not good to start with that because I would just be like angry at it and just turn it off yeah yeah I have a, I have another alarm clock, but I, I am, I'm guilty of setting the six alarms on, on my cell phone and then, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, it normally wakes me up and then my mom is just a wonderful safeguard. Mm -hmm. My husband has been that for me because, um, it was actually from my previous job when I worked for Mayo Clinic. I had, I, it wasn't even from sleeping, but I, I messed up a schedule one time. I agreed to come in for a two hour shift in order to like help them with staffing. So mm-hmm. I left on a day that they didn't need help. And it came, I was supposed to come back on a day that they did for just two hours. And long story short is I changed phones over the weekend and my alarms didn't transfer oh, and no. I got in trouble. Um, and this was like, 10 years ago, but, um, you know, I had to have perfect attendance from there on out. And so we learned, you know, some of the tips and tricks to like, you know, to cover your butt (laughs) essentially. Mm -hmm. But actually last night, um, I was so lucky. I, I think I went to bed. I went to come upstairs to say goodnight to my kids, lay down Mm -hmm. in a bed with them. I think they're all on my bed actually. And then apparently I just like zonked out because the next thing I knew my alarm clock was going off. It was like four, 25 a.m. I need to teach in five minutes. And I asked my husband later, I said, I didn't even come upstairs with my phone. It was charging downstairs. Did you bring it up? And he's like, yeah, I did. And thankfully I had a recurring alarm that was already set that goes off every day at 430 or something like that. You know, just in case I have a class and it like saved me (laughs) because I I don't think I set that alarm. I don't think I said it. I think it was just already you know, there otherwise, yeah, cause that's comforting. Yeah. So you have to kind of like, just in case you have that, you know, mess up that you're ready to go, but yeah, yeah I made it. <laughs> it was a tight <laughs> one though. Cause then I ran up, uh, I realized that my computer was downstairs and I couldn't find my glasses. And so I actually started teaching without my glasses on. Oh and no. I, my husband must've heard my alarm go off. So he came to go to the bathroom and I just kind of like muted myself. And I said, I can't see. <laughs> Do you see my glasses? <laughs> so you kind of handed them to me through my door. Yeah. Whew. I remember the worst thing that came of teaching in the middle of the night was I had this light in front of me. I used to have two of them. 
and they would glare down on me and I'd be so tired they'd be like <laughs> it makes and you want to close your eyes told me, open your eyes teacher and I was like I can't I'm like, <laughs> you know it was really sad I uh I then I moved to one light and it works fine lights give me a headache since so I can't have one behind me I have to have it bouncing off the wall um how are how do you motivate yourself to do the grant writing? Like it's easy for me to wake up and get to a class, but mm-hmm. it's less easy sometimes to, if there's work, that's just kind of general, like I should get to it. How do you get yourself up and going on that stuff? Well, one of the things that I learned also in the past few years was that I need to honor my thinking time because I, I normally spend quite a long time perseverating and thinking about things when I'm making a grant and I'm figuring out how to do things, even if it appears unproductive. And so I think for grant writing, it's important to honor that what doesn't seem like productive time, but that thinking time and then write when the moment is For me, I like to write when I have inspiration or I have a deadline coming up. Mm -hmm. And those two things will motivate me to uh, produce more um, content. But really, I think the process of doing a grant, um, writers all write in different ways, I think. Some people are quite organized and get up right on time and do it all right away. But I'm really lucky. I mean, I'm really privileged in that I can write really quickly. And so I can have that thinking time, you know. Um, Part of it is just having um, gotten those two masters, you know. It's a lot of practice writing. (laughs) It is a lot of practice of writing and then I get into it and I'm like, I'm like the keyboard cat. I did a lot of overnighters. I wrote some of my biggest research papers in less than 12 hours. Yeah. Yes. Uh, But I didn't always take the time to prove. So uh, how are you, how are you getting it done? Like how, can you just walk me through? There's an element of copy and paste. Okay. To it. And then you modify and you add in things. So not every time are you starting again with a brand new slate that's clean. Okay. You bring a text that you've already written and you build on top of it. And some people go, oh, it's all cut and paste. It really isn't. You have to rearrange things. Your text is very modular and you just... um, Yeah, you just build on it and then certain questions, certain foundations will ask different questions than what you've prepared and you can answer those. But normally you're not having to do 60 pages and another completely different 60 pages, you know? Okay, got it. You might do 80% the same. Bits and pieces will translate. If you're writing for the same nonprofit. If you're writing for the same nonprofit, yeah, yeah. But you're working with that one in Nepal and then your own. Are they yeah, and I've different? done other ones too, but I'm right now I'm working on really finding good organizations for me. I really like Sensor Maya in Nepal, you know, and obviously I really like my organization, but 
Um, sometimes I have, sometimes people are too small or not ready for grants or not ready for federal grants, want big money and are not ready for it. And so um, I am trying to find a little bit more grant writing, like one more position, but I'm picky about it because um, you do have to do more work and it's with less, um, with more frustrations if they're all little individual nonprofits that have never gotten a grant before and you have to make up a completely new program out of air. Right. You know. Without so many people to consult or to work with or who yeah. have experience, yeah. Yeah, it comes out of your imagination essentially, you know, and then you interview people and get their information and then describe what their ideas are, but you have to always have that um imagination component to it who who makes a good grant writer like you don't just go to school to be a grant writer do you um well my degrees are in my undergrad was in plant biology then I have a master's in dance theory yeah so I did a lot of writing for that and it made my writing much much better and then it really did yeah and then um public administration, which I, I was just doing so much activism that I was able to get a, a full ride to go to go to a prestigious school in the West. Really? Coast. Wow. Yeah. I can see that one probably lending itself the best to the grant writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the writing component is you have to understand organizations and institutions. But really, if you can find a match, if you can understand grant writing as a matching kind of um, almost a romantic interchange between your nonprofit and a foundation, um, almost like a love letter, then if you are interested in the organization and interested in the writing, I think that the, you don't have to have as much functional skills as long as you're really familiar with what you're writing about. Do you have to be passionate about the thing that you're writing about or can people write for write grants for things that they don't care about well I can't I am mean, that's my number one criteria is am I writing on something that I believe in to be honest um I don't think most people do but grant writing like anything else is a job um and people there will always be supply and demand and people will uh, not necessarily always have uh, convictions of their own. You know, right. Right. some people have stronger, strong, more strongly held um, beliefs than others uh, in a wide variety of ways. Right, right. Now, we were just talking a lot about, you know, all these people from the ESL world who mm -hmm. have had their jobs up, uprooted. I guess yes. I think I was saying it earlier. I feel not like I lost my job because I didn't do anything that was no. wrong to lose it. And I don't feel yeah. like I gave up my job. I just feel like they took it from me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of people who are in our shoes right now in the last month or two or three 
who have you yeah. know seen the writing on the wall and knew that the yeah. end is coming or that things are changing now some people are holding on hope that you know this international global school is going to just take off but others who are maybe a little bit more realistic are going to be like it's going to take time <laughs> and yes, if, if it happens platform. at all yeah mm-hmm. so something's going to have to you know pay the bills in the meantime mm-hmm. would you say that grant writing is something that people could or should consider to go into if they have the english skills like you know we're talking to english if teachers they have the, if they have the english skills and some uh understanding of excel mm. if you understand how to do basically like adding and subtracting in excel or multiplying you mm-hmm. can you can do a budget it's not as hard okay so just simple formulas and yeah and i think it's a good skill to learn to augment whatever you're doing especially if you are interacting with nonprofits. um because some people that are doing um online esl for example are classroom teachers and there are tons of little grants for classroom teachers to get their stuff so maybe they're not buying it out of pocket right so like supplies yeah supplies things like that projects things like that that's a good way to find out on an easier scale uh if you are interested in it or not but i think the biggest reason to write a grant if and and you should always have somebody that you can try first where it's a pressure-free environment i think to um make mistakes you know i was thrust into like in 2009 i was thrust into this nonprofit that was completely falling apart and i worked like 80 hours a week for not that much pay for like thirty thousand dollars and 36 i remember 36 i was i was the second highest paid person in the organization oh wow yeah over the lawyer who was 35 Huh. Yeah, people do wacky things in nonprofits where they don't make money. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Um, but uh but um I think that uh those are good ways. Simple grants are good ways, organizing events are good ways. You can find out if you're good at writing little corporate things. Um, I, but I think the commitment to a nonprofit is probably the thing that's going to make someone a more interested grant writer. And I think you have to really um, be willing to think through the grants. And if you're intimately familiar with a nonprofit already, it makes it easier to do that. But I would always recommend reading a book on nonprofits. Uh, not just nonprofits on grant writing. I recommend reading as many books on grant writing as there you can possibly find for like the first um, few months. Beca- they become redundant after a while, but um, they will help you understand a, a course and a trajectory and what is essential information and what's not. And I think if the if the skills seem too high when you're reading it, then it might not be your area. But I, I do believe it's if you can handle the matching and looking in databases, um, 
I think that almost anybody can do the writing, to be honest. Okay. Because I think that the match is the most important part. But also grammar and punctuation and well, you'd be looking professional. It depends on who you're going after. Oh, you'd really? Yeah. They want you want them to fall in love with you more than they care about your punctuation. Hmm. I know I I'm very precise and I like to get everything perfect too. But if they if you are if they're looking for one category or group of people and you are one of five applicants out of a hundred that have come from that group of people that they want to find, they will pick you. Oh, I see. If they're all the periods are there. Okay. Good to know. It's the match. That's what they care about. Are you meeting their objectives? Um, are you falling within their strategies? Are you extending? Do you make them happy? Do you make them care? You know, things like that. That's a whole other world for me. It sounds really interesting though, and I'm glad that you found it. Do you feel oh, like I love it. Yeah, it's really do you cool. feel like picking up one more organization to write for would be enough to replace some of the income that you've lost uh, with some of the changes in this ESL world? Well, one or two. Okay. You know, one or two, to be honest. And because my secret company hasn't totally died, I haven't totally faced the yep. inevitable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so I sort of sit back and spectate on the VIP kid boards and I get to keep to myself and never give a referral. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually kind of incredible. She said that because um, they're still hiring. Like, it's so weird. Like they are, even though we can't teach for their students as of like basically this week, next week, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> so, somehow people are still getting hired. It's, yeah, uh, I guess I, very I optimistic. Yeah, I wonder if they're getting onto the global platform too. Yeah. They say that'll be like a separate, I think, invitation. So Yeah, I heard that like one percent of VIP yeah. teachers got invited. That's yeah. crazy. That's like a thousand out of a hundred thousand. Yeah. Wow. Well, all right, Elizabeth. <laughs> go ahead what were you gonna say not real accounts though anymore because some people have left probably oh yeah a lot of people have left that's true a lot of people have ter- you know basically as of august people were like i'm done i'm out i got a full-time job doing something else and so it's been a trickle you know yeah. those who are hanging on a little longer my husband and i just watched the titanic so i'm having like visuals right now oh no, uh, no. Uh, but yeah it's, it kind of feels like that <laughs> Yeah, right. no, it's terrible for the connections too. And it's terrible for being so abrupt. And part of the thing I think is really frustrating is because n- nobody gets uh, unemployment. Yeah, we were all independent contractors. And so it's not like our boss laid us off. It was, you know, we were, kinda, we were on our own. Yeah. So that is hard. I've been, um, there's, there's an office in the city where I live, Gilbert, and it's, I can't remember the name of it. It's not an unemployment office. It's an employment office mm-hmm. where they're trying to help people match with jobs and um, a lot like of entry level. Agency? Yeah, no, it's not even that. I don't think it's more like um, helping people with their resumes and just, oh, you know, yeah. work readiness. And there are some grants where they're, you know, trying to help connect people with skills that might be needed in order mm-hmm. to, you know, meet the needs like 
you could become a nail technician or a welder or something like that. And whenever I go in and I'm like kind of looking around, I'm like, it just doesn't feel like it's right for me. Like, I don't think, I don't see anything here that fits, Um, you know, but I think I I was working on applications today. So something will come through and I've got some ideas that I can do in the, in the meantime. Um, I have some school sets that can pull out. Yeah. And I even substitute teaching. I, I prefer working from home. But yeah. if I need to, you know, in the interim, they do have um, an online program here. So I could even substitute online. So, wow. yeah. All right. Well, when you have people who, who hear that you work from home, um, say, hey, how do I do that? You know, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about working from home for the first time or wonders how you make it all work? Take aspirin. What? <laughs> My back hurts when I work from home, to be honest. And okay. I need to dance more. And I, when I'm sitting for um, doing the online teaching, I, I find it to be uh, frustrating without aspirin. So that, that helped me. Interesting. So have you ever had like an ergonomic assessment to like help you look at your desk and set up and think about how you could be sitting differently to be more comfortable? No, I'm sure that that would be very fruitful. <laughs> Something I can give you some names. I've um, oh, okay, I've cool. known a few people, yeah, who are great, and they do um virtual assessments. Oh, they'll have you That's they'll cool. have you take pictures of your workspace from different angles, and then they'll have you have someone else take pictures of you, you know, sitting in in your workspace in different ways, um, and look at your chair and the heights. You have to do a lot of measurements of yourself and your space you know, how far is your body from this, that, and the other thing. Um, but some people will actually come, you know, I don't know with the pandemic, how that has affected things, but, you know, off in office spaces, they'll do the assessment in person. And I think some of them will do that virtually too. Um, so that they can see you in real life, in real time, um, or, you know, virtually in real time, Mm -hmm. adjusting yourself. And then does that look better? Cause in the past, it would just take a picture and then they'd send it, you know, you send it off and then like they'd give you re- a report three weeks later saying, oh, you needed to change this one thing. And then you take another picture and you send it back is very inefficient. So I think that things have come a long way in that area. Yeah. So, yeah, I can talk with you if you want a little bit about um, some of the things I, I feel like I've learned a lot over the years because I've also struggled with a lot of back issues. Back and things issues. Like that. Yeah. So yeah. you were a dancer in a past life? Yes, I was a dancer, an Irish dancer. Oh, fun. Yeah. Little river dance type dance. Yes. I, my sister, um, learned and, and performed sometimes. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Some of the Irish jig type stuff. Yeah. That's wonderful. It's pretty high impact and intense. Extremely high impact. Did she ever compete? It wasn't competitive. It was more just like, um, a local thing that she would do for, you know, friends and family and, um, I, I don't know if it was like a family fun night or maybe like a local event, like in, in the community, like 4th of July oh. or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, fun and hard, I think. It's really hard. Yeah, it's really precise. And Do you have like a stretching routine or anything else that you're doing? Because it sounds like you do have a lot of computer work. Um. I do go sometimes to ballet and sometimes I do belly dance, but to be honest, 
I'm going to go see the pain specialist. Mm, okay. Yeah. And get a nerve ablation, you know, oh, my I really goodness. only have one, I really only have one vertebrae that's problematic. Mm-hmm. And I think if I got a nerve ablation, then that might help with the sitting, you know? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It sounds so serious. Do you, no, um... it's, not a, it's like a six. But still, <laughs> do you ever stand up? Does that help? No, I, I never teach standing up. I just don't have the setup to do it. Yeah. I've heard that people like it, but I also think that I might like go in the middle of the night, you know. I think that just being able to have the option is nice to stand up or sit down. Like I usually sit, but if I was really tired, I'd stand Oh, how do you, do you just change the angle of the camera? I have uh, an adjustable keyboard tray that I can lift up really high. Oh. And then I would just stick a box under my monitor wow. to, to lift it up. And then I would end up angling it just a little bit. Like normally my uh, camera is coming down a little bit mm-hmm. towards me. And when I stand up, it was a little bit more straight on or maybe slightly tilted, but not too obvious. Yeah, that, that would be, that would be very cool. Yeah, just consider um moving around. Yes, yes, yes. But There's yeah, one, uh, VIP kid where they do stretching, and I I really like that particular one because I'm like stretch. Mm-hmm. Oh. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then I started to just try to do the stretches in between classes or mm-hmm. to incorporate it into my greetings, <laughs> especially yes. when I was in pain. Yeah, yeah, it helps a lot. Well, Elizabeth, I think we need to wrap it up. Mm-hmm. It's been a nice chat. I have learned a lot of things about grants that I didn't know about. And I, I wish you the main thing about grants is if you're in actually in an organization, try. Sorry okay. To cut you off. No. So say it one more time. If you're actually in an organization, nothing can hurt you by trying. Okay. And certainly there's lots of places to find grants. It's just a part of the world that I am not really familiar with. I have friends who are teachers who have written the small grants that you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know if I have any other friends who are grant writers. And I apologize if you are my friend who writes grants and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I wish you the best of luck um, as you're transitioning. I know, thankfully, you didn't have every single egg in one basket, right? Yes. I really do feel... <laughs> I really feel for some of the people that had everything into one thing, Um, you know, single mom kind of situation. Um, Working like 50 hours VIP kid, you know? Yeah. It's all All coming down every night. I do appreciate that. It didn't end up just shutting the doors immediately in August. Like some of them, I think like August 9th or something like that, like two or three of the big companies closed Mm -hmm. and we were kind of, trickling out so Mm -hmm. it's not like we didn't know the writing has been on the wall for some time (laughs) yeah yeah so all right well thank you elizabeth i appreciate it do you have any final thoughts um pursue your passion that's my final thought okay pursue your passion i i like that and you have it sounds like i think so yeah i have a lot of support but especially for my mom, but, um, I like that's my passions and my missions. Well, thank you for agreeing to this interview. I was 
I think we were in a VIP group together and you agreed to come on in. So I think I will probably maybe interview a few other people who are leaving the ASL world or who are maybe continuing on. We'll see. Um, but it's interesting to see how many different directions we're all going to go. Yeah. Like when I left my male clinic job, you know, I was part of another company that are not company, the department that basically kind of came to an end with transcription and the very different paths that many people took as they started to like look for new things. So, well, this has been Elizabeth Venable with April Malone and yes, I work from home and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. No problem.